Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. In the movie Inception, Leonardo DiCaprio is skilled at entering dreams and extracting information. However, instead of infiltrating dreams, Leonardo is asked to do Inception, planting an idea in the mind of the dreamer, an idea that would grant him a new desire and cause him to make the decision to give away the blessings of his birthright that his wealthy father had left him. But it only worked if he believed his imagination. Everyone has an imagination. The creative imagination, that is the ability to conceive of something that does not already exist, is a source of art and invention. Imagination can be used for good. However, since the fall, we've learned to use our imagination for evil. The reason God decided to flood the world in Genesis 6 was because he saw of man that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continuously. Our imagination can invent entire lives in accordance with our own desires. The danger then comes when we prefer these dreams more than God. Like Inception, Satan wants to give us a new desire to cause us to give away the blessings that our Heavenly Father desires to give us. And this is what the second commandment is protecting us against. The first commandment is against worshipping the wrong God. The second commandment, which we're looking at today, is warning us against worshipping God in the wrong way. Exodus 20 verse 4 says, You shall not make of yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. We can't simply use our imagination to make any God we might like and worship that God however we choose. The problem with how the nations around Israel worshipped was that they thought God was somehow attached to the images they worshipped. We bow down to the image and think we need it to be closer to God or make something that causes others to do the same. It's breaking the second commandment. When the Lord appears to the people on the mountain, out of the midst of fire, Moses reminded them, you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice in Deuteronomy 4. They couldn't see God. God knew all too well what Israel would do with an image. Later in Israel's history, in 2 Kings 18 verse 4, we learn that King Hezekiah destroyed the bronze serpent Moses had made because the people had begun to worship it. Christianity, likewise, is a word-centered religion. We come to know and trust in Jesus through hearing his words. Furthermore, did you know that God already has images to show his likeness? Genesis 1, 26 to 27 says that humans are made in God's image. God doesn't need our help in making more images. It's still possible for us to worship God in the wrong way today by worshiping something instead of God. That's what an idol is. An idol is a God replacement. As Paul says in Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. An idol is anything you trust, love or serve more than God. The language of life-ruling desires largely replaces the language of idolatry in the New Testament. In other words, in our sin, the human heart has the habit of taking desires for good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, particularly Um, a particular social circle, human approval, Netflix, video games, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. 
anything can become a counterfeit God when we think that they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment, happiness and, and meaning once we have them, rather than seeking these things in God. And all of us can fall into this trap. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the best, very best things in life. God does take our God replacements very seriously. Why? Because God will not share his glory with another. The Old Testament is full of examples of God's people use man-made idols for worship. The golden calf is the, is the most famous example. Shortly after God gave these very laws at Mount Sinai in Exodus 32, Aaron proclaimed a feast to the Lord. He then melted the golden rings of the Israelites and made them into a golden calf. And the people declared that the golden calf was the gods who brought them out of Egypt. The Israelites weren't trying to worship a foreign god. They were trying to worship their Lord, the Lord their God, but they were doing it in the wrong way by giving the glory that God was due to a golden calf. And so God began to pour out his judgment on Israel and send a plague on them. And this is exactly what God said he would do in Exodus 20, verse 5 to 6. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is a jealous God. This doesn't mean he is envious of other people, but rather that he will not tolerate anything that steal our hearts away from him and thus steal the glory that he deserves. All idolatry is spiritual adultery. No husband who truly loved his wife would be okay with sharing her with another man. And God will not share us with a rival. As Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, there is, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God cares for us. He knows that other gods cannot save. And we are precious to him. In Isaiah 44 verse 12 to 20, God explains how stupid it is to worship an idol. A man uses half his wood to build a fire and the other half to make an idol to worship. Absurd as it is, the man foolishly calls out to the block of wood to save him. Back when the British Empire was colonizing foreign lands, they would take worthless shiny trinkets to the tribal villages and by offering them, they distracted them so that they were, able, so that they were willing to give up what was most valuable. In scripture, God alone is described as the living God. Whereas idols cannot see, hear, speak, love, judge evil or save from sin, idols threaten to take what we can only have with God. So he fights for us to be with him. He is devoted to us and he asks us to be loyal to him. Acts 17 says, The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So how can we avoid idolatry and avoid breaking the second commandment? Well, in Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he shares the following 20 questions that will help you diagnose the idols of your heart. For the sake of time, I've just picked out a few. Life only has meaning or worth if I have power and influence over others. That's power idolatry. I am loved and respected by others. That's approval idolatry. I'm recognized for my accomplishments. I'm excelling in my work. Achievement idolatry. I have a certain level of worth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. Materialism idolatry. A particular social grouping or professional grouping or other group lets me in. Inner ring idolatry. My parents are happy with me. Family idolatry. 
Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me. Relationship idolatry. I have a particular kind of look or body image. Image idolatry. I'm sure all of us recognize at least one area of idolatry in our lives. But it's not always easy to spot our idols. So Keller also provides a more general way of identifying our idols in our hearts. He does this by encouraging us to ask these questions. What do we fear the most? What if we lost it would make life not worth living? What causes us to panic and think we have no hope? Where do your thoughts go for, for joy and comfort? What is your real daily functional salvation? In other words, when you pray and work for something and you don't get it, and you respond with explosive anger or deep despair, then you've found your real God. And ask, is there something here too important to me? Something I must have at all costs? Now, it can be very hard to acknowledge that some of these things we love the most have become idols in our hearts. But for those who trust in Jesus, we can begin to do heart surgery knowing that no matter what we find, we know we are children of God and that God loves us no matter what because he sent Jesus to die for us. Okay, so once we've identified the idols in our hearts, how can we overcome them? Well, let me offer three approaches. The moralistic approach. What if you find that you have a habit of lying? What do you do about it? Well, a moralistic way of thinking focuses on one's behavior and is often motivated by fear. I must stop doing this because God will punish me or he won't bless me. The moralistic way of thinking doesn't go deep enough. What desires and idols are drawing us to do these things? The second is the feelings approach. Your problem is that you don't see that God loves you as you are. This focuses on feelings which seem to be deeper than behavior, but it also fails to go deep enough. Why do I have such strong feelings or despair? Fear, maybe anger, when this or that happens. What are the idols and false beliefs behind them? The third approach is the gospel approach. You need to begin by asking the question, why am I lying in this particular situation? The reason we lie or do any sin is because at that moment, there is something we feel that we must simply have, like some of the approval, and so we lie. That means that the sin under the sin of lying is the idolatry of, say, human approval. We are looking more to human approval than to Jesus as the source of worth or meaning or happiness. Instead, we need to look to Jesus for these things because only Jesus satisfies us. The solution is not to love good things less, but to love the best things more. Idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. The greatest power in killing our idolatrous desires is by replacing them with greater desire for Jesus. All the soul needs is found in Jesus who died for us. In John 14, Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Christ is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. To look upon Christ is to look upon the face of him who we could not see at Mount Sinai. And we see him through his word. If Jesus is God, then by definition, nothing could satisfy you like he can. Nothing can give you the significant security and affirmation that the author of glory and love can. He loves us so much he was willing to give his last breath for us. If you receive him, he will fulfill you completely. And if you fail him, he'll forgive you because you trust in him. And you will lose the taste for the pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. Jesus alone can satisfy our deepest needs and wants and longings and prayers. All the soul needs is found in him. As George Swinnick once wrote, are you ambitious? He is a crown of glory. Are you covetous? He has unsearchable riches and righteousness. Do you desire pleasure? He has rivers of pleasures and fullness of joy. Are you hungry? He has a feast of wine. Are you weary? 
He is rest, a shadow from the heat and a shelter from the storm. Are you weak? He is everlasting strength. Are you doubting? He is marvelous in counsel. Are you in darkness? He is the son of righteousness. Are you sick? He is the God of your health. Are you sorrowful? He is the God of all consolations. Whatever your troubles, he can remove it. Whatever you need, he can relieve it. Well, like Leonardo, Satan wants us to trade God for your imagination and give away the blessings of life and fulfillment and the forgiveness of sins that our Heavenly Father desires to give us. So are you dreaming? Come back to reality. Our imagination needs to be redirected to marveling at Jesus through his word. In 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernandez Cortez decided that he wanted to seize the treasure that the Aztecs had been hoarding. He landed his 11 ships on the shores. Despite the large army under his command, he was still vastly outnumbered by a huge, powerful empire that had been around for 600 years. Some of his men were unconvinced of success and tried to seize some ships and escape to them. But he wanted to make sure that the remainder of his men were completely committed to his mission and quest for riches. But it is something that seemed completely insane to his people. Cortez gave the order to burn his own ships. His men resisted, wondering how they would even get home. And his answer was, if we're going home, we're going home in their ships. The path forward was clear for Cortez. All or nothing, 100% commitment. The option of failure was gone. Conquer as heroes or die. By doing this, the level of commitment of the men was raised to an extreme level. And incredibly, they succeeded in this unlikely feat. In 600 years, no one else had been able to conquer the Aztecs and plunder their riches. They were able to do it because there was, there was no choice, no fallback. The ships were gone and only, or the only alternative was death. As Christians, the allure to return to idolatry should not be underestimated. But we know that these things can never satisfy or save. So we should seek to destroy these idols in our lives so that we might commit our whole hearts to God and the infinitely more valuable and more satisfying treasures that we have through Christ.